Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight is my good buddy Nate Tice. Nate, how are you? Good. Wild card in the books. Just went exactly how we expected it to, right? Just exactly. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Chalk. <laughs> it was you know our predictions were exactly how expected you know just exactly how the narratives were going to go especially with this last game that's exactly that was a nice little nice little bow because of just a normal game that just happened so we're going to get to all of the games we're going to start with that sunday night game though hard game to really analyze because it felt like the browns were playing the four corners offense and defense <laughs> from the halfway point of the first quarter and later in the game when they had a couple high leverage moments where they needed something i think they went to a couple plays that really seemed just to be reliable for them and they went to that juke play to landry a couple different times against a linebacker mm-hmm. but i think both offensively and defensively they were just trying to mash i, I made a joke about it on twitter there's mash the sim to end button is, is what the browns were trying to do there and they got there. I mean, it looked dicey at times. I was nervous for them and for their fan base, considering what that looks like in certain moments. But I do think that that game looks a lot different if they're not totally in control. I think they do different things offensively and defensively. But either way, congratulations to the Browns and to Browns fans. In the playoffs, it doesn't matter how you do it. It doesn't matter if the other team snaps the ball over the quarterback's head in the first play of the game or throws multiple tip ball interceptions in the first half. If you win... You win, you get to move on. And for the Browns especially, that was the question with this game because they're without their all-pro left guard. They're without their coach who I think deserves to be coach of the year. And if they survived, next week, hopefully they get back, not to full strength. Jack Conklin got hurt in this game, a lot of other things, but closer to full strength than they were tonight. And that's exactly what happened. The breaks went their way. The Browns have won a playoff game, and I think they absolutely could win another one. And it was funny. That first play happened. And, of course, like Malcolm Smith was in this game. Because that that bad snap reminded me of the Seahawks-Broncos first play, the safety of the Super Bowl a few years ago. And it was just like, okay, this this game, of course, is going to get weird. The game that just seems so expected, of course, is going to get goofy. But that's what's awesome about football, especially the playoffs, is – as long as you get into the dance, who cares how you keep going? It's a one-game season, one game after another. Who cares how you keep winning? And how the Browns just kept scoring and just taking advantage of the situations, it was like the first touchdown to Kareem Hunt was just like gorgeous. It was a zone play, and like Treader and Teller had their cutoffs, and Conklin does an amazing job. Teller like climbing was destroying up. people in this just game. Every time destroying he had to climb, destroying people. he was shot out of a cannon. He was at five yards before it was even like both of these plays. He's just at five yards waiting for his cutoff because he doesn't have to like strain because he's up there so quickly. And when he was pulling, he was just crunching dudes. It his film 
it looks like a high school film when one guy is just a lot better than the other guys. That's yeah. what watching him is like sometimes. And he's an NFL player. By the way, when I said the Browns had a chance to win another playoff game, I didn't realize they were playing the Chiefs next weekend. <laughs> I don't want to say that quite yet. We will save our predictions for later in the week. I think that's going to be a tall order. But the point is, this is a team I think is dangerous. This was the game where they were really behind the eight ball and they still ended up winning. Yeah, they took advantage of all the chances. They did what you had to do. This is what teams do to win. They they had the ball lined up for them, and they had the cream hunt, two of them to, to cream hunt, both of them beautiful blocking plays. The pin pull on the second one, Njoku, who sealing the edge, just pinning guys. And it was like, okay, this whole team is just playing together. We keep talking about this. It's just different guys show up, and they just really work for each other. And then the Jarvis Landry TD, it's a third and four design. Like that was a man beater and they're attacking leverage. How they did it was just perfect though. They motion Landry across, they hide his leverage inside. And then how the Steelers have to play that of that stack. They just attack the leverage, deliver a throw and Landry makes a play. They just made plays in the playoffs and that's what teams do to keep winning. And just props to the Browns, man. They just, at the end, I mean, it is kind of funny. They were in like, usually a four minute drill is usually about, you know, four minutes left in the game. They were four minute drill with four minutes left in the second half or in the first half. I know. <laughs> like, it was so funny. That's exactly what it was. Like, I'm telling you the four corners offense. Oh yeah. One of my favorite parts of the Browns being good is their offensive line, getting the visibility that it has over the mm-hmm. season. You know, guys like Wyatt Teller, just more recognition, more visibility, but also Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry is a football player's football player, does so many little things well, incredible hands, really smart. You know, we pointed out a couple different times this year of him just knowing situation in obvious ways. He's either burning a timeout or he's moving guys on his own team to different spots or resetting the ball. And he's just that kind of player. And seeing him in these sorts of big moments, I'm glad we get to see it. I don't know if he's a true number one guy in a really good offense. I think that's why Odo Beckham is there. But he has really stepped up when that void has been there for this Brown team. He has stepped into that vacuum, that playmaking vacuum for this team. And it's really cool to watch. It's almost like the NBA when they say, oh, this guy's a number one on a championship team. This guy's a number two on a championship team. Like Landry is a a contributor to a winning team. Like if he's that's a number exactly two or right. number three weapon, he is, you know, he's a great, great number three. If he's a number two, okay. If he's number one, you're hurting. Like he had to be in Miami. But now when he has other stuff around him and he doesn't have to be the guy and he could just put in these situations where he can run a juke route. He can run the motion across running angle routes. Stuff that's in his wheelhouse. He's not being asked to run deep dig stuff and all this other auxiliary stuff that's just not in his wheelhouse. Now He's getting put in situations that, oh, guess what? Good coaches there in Cleveland are putting him in the right situations. And guess what? He's excelling. And also, like you just mentioned, we're talking about the run game, but also I don't think the Steelers pressured Baker like all night. Like it, no. it seemed he was getting like, rid of the ball very quickly, very quickly. But that's all ties in together. He knew where to go. He knew what he had to do. And the ball was getting out and going to the right spots. And, you know, they stayed aggressive enough at the end of the game. What a weird like second half too, just because that's that's the type of game script that had to evolve. And but Browns got enough plays done, and they just won this game. And then the defense just contributed plays. Like I mean, Big Ben, I think it was tied for third most pass attempts in NFL history, including regular season or playoffs. Sixty-eight pass attempts, which is just absurd. It's it was incredible. like Drew Brees in the late nineties, like yeah, Purdue. <laughs> that's exactly what it was like, just digging and dunking <laughs> everywhere. 68 pass attempts. That's ridiculous. His arm's going to fall off. He's going to have to ice it for the next four years. So speaking of Ben, ben Roethlisberger's arm falling off, 
I don't want to get too far into this, but quick postmortem on the Steelers. Roethlisberger has a $41 million cap hit next year. If the cap settles at $175 million, they're currently $21 million over the cap. That can occasionally be misleading. You know, you have these numbers and guys, there are clear cuts and a lot of them are coming back and you can kind of massage it. It's not the case with the Steelers. Bud Dupree is a free agent. Villanueva is a free agent. Mike Hilton is a free agent. Juju is a free agent. Trey Edmonds is a free agent. This is a lot of turnover <laughs> on this team, and they're already over the cap. I am very curious what the next version and the next stage of Pittsburgh Steelers football is going to look like. I cannot imagine. Maybe that's a little bit too far. I was going to say I can't imagine after the season that he's had, and especially the last month that they've had or six weeks that Ben Roethlisberger would be part of that plan. There might be a world where he is part of that plan, just at a lower number and they finagle it some way. But if he is, and if he comes back and he is still getting paid like a starting quarterback and you have all of these other considerations, I don't know how much better the 2021 Steelers could possibly be than the roster that the 2020 Steelers had. And also just the start they got up with the bounces they got. It's yes. like they they got every single break over the first three months of the season. They did. They were set up to just, you know, take advantage of so many situations and this they're maxed out. I mean, we saw Mason Rudolph last week, but I mean I saw plenty of his starts earlier. <laughs> I don't know what, what to feel about his future. So they're at a huge crossroads with, with their roster. They got enough youthful talent. You know, they trade for Micah Fitzpatrick. You know, TJ Watt is a stud that you can build around. They got a lot of questions that they have to answer, especially up front. Uh, the line is just getting older and older. You know, they need – we have to figure out what the receiver situation is. Juju, what's going to happen with him? It's, it's a I weird think he's gone. They're at. I think totally they, I mean, gone. that's why they that's why they draft guys. You have Johnson. You have Washington. You have Claypool. The receivers, I think, will be fine. But this yeah. is the danger of building on defense. Yeah. That this is the danger of building on defense because in your mind, you sit there and you think, oh, the defense is so young. Think about how long the defense has. That's not how defense works. The volatility of it is such that it's so hard to rely on year in and year out. And you're only going to have a real window to be a truly dominant defense, a championship caliber defense for maybe two or three years. Now you lose some of those pieces and There are questions about how dominant the defense can be. And then the offense is obviously lagging behind that defense. So what are you on that side of the ball? I mean, it's just one of those things where those windows disappear a lot quicker than you think they do. I mean, I saw people talking about Washington, who we'll get to a little bit later. And the discourse around Washington and what they need for next year was like, we got to strike while this defense is hot. And it's like, no, I don't know, man. I'm not (laughs) sure that's how this is going to work. I don't think your defense will be better than it was this year. Even if you like that front, and even if you think that group can be dominant, John Allen's only cheap for, what, another two years, maybe? Mm -hmm. I mean, those guys are going to be up soon, and that's how it's going to work with the Steelers. TJ Watt is in the final year of his rookie deal next year. He's going to need an extension. The windows for those types of teams are very, very short and very, very fragile, and it really does seem like whatever window this version of the Steelers had is probably closed. And that doesn't mean their window is closed. It means that how we understand their current construction, that is going to slip through their fingers. And I think defense is 
not only just the season to season stuff, it's that so much week to week or even two weeks to two weeks. Absolutely. And, and more, even more than offense, it is as the second half of the season has gone on, talk more and more about how the adjustment teams have made adjustments since bye weeks. And that's huge. And even on, on when teams have Thursday night games, they have little mini bye weeks. They could, we'll do a little self scouting. And I think defense is more susceptible to improvement or uh, after adjustments after bye weeks. I think there is more stuff that like, honing in that teams are able to do they're like okay we'll get rid of this shit we're trying this blitz this blitz sucks okay we ran out third down 10 times it sucked nine times you know offenses will do it but i think defense can make bigger jumps as they do it than offenses can and that's why you keep saying it it's hard to build around the defense because even teams that are really good defenses they really ebb and flow as the seasons go on or just season to season like why they are good it's a different version of good that these teams go on so it's hard to pay a lot of money to one guy because that defense could stay good in a different version if that makes sense that you can put a lot at the pass rush you could put a lot of dbs a good offense typically has a quarterback <laughs> so yeah. it's easy to know where the money has to go there and probably some offensive linemen and probably a weapon or two defense it's like okay do we give it to three pass rushers or do we give it to a corner and a pass rusher do i give it to my three down linebacker it's you really have to make sure you're giving the money at the right that the resources to the right spots draft picks and money and i think it's just more volatile to do that around the defense and that's why it just happens time after time that defenses either fall apart they prove out of nowhere especially a defense that's so dependent on talent. Mm -hmm. The Steelers are not reinventing the wheel with the stuff that they're doing. It's one-on-ones, our guys better than your guys. And when those guys that are better start to get expensive, you can afford less guys. And that's the moment that the Steelers are going to reach here. And I'll be fascinated to see how they plan to deal with this transition and what it's going to look like. That is a question for another day, though. Let us get to the rest of these games. Let's get back to Saturday. First game of the weekend. Amazing kickoff game, by the way. Great. And we knew it. We knew going in. This was a game you and I had underlined about 17 times mm -hmm. because we loved both of these teams. Honestly, this game looked exactly how I thought it was going to look. The only thing that was different, and we'll get to this in a little bit of detail, I thought the Colts running game would be a little bit more effective consistently throughout this game i think one of the reasons that it wasn't was because i don't think jonathan taylor played great in this game he had a couple nope. drops and a couple arm tackles that a guy that's built like him should be he was one-on-one -on -one with guys like mike hyde in the hole every once in a while and he needs to make those plays when he was put in spots to succeed in this game he didn't get there he's a rookie that'll happen but that's the only element of this game that was disparate to what I thought it might look like coming in. Otherwise, this is the type of game I expected to see. Colts slowing the Bills down. Josh Allen needed to make plays out of structure in order to get them chunks, and him doing that, just enough for them to win. We said styles make fights, and that's like styles make these games. And this game truly was like a submission specialist versus a puncher in like an MMA fight. And it's like that's kind of like the Colts want to bring it to the ground and a little jujitsu hold and all that. And then meanwhile, the by the, the way, Bills are like, literally no, they were going to the ground. They were like yeah. making they were making catches and like falling and rolling right past the first down marker, like a wrestling takedown over and over. And then the Bills are like, no, no, stand it up, stand it up. We're punching. No, we're punching. No, it's we're turning this to a fist fight. I mean, right, Josh Allen, at first I was like, oh, wow, the Colts are, you know, they're slowing them down a little bit. You know, they're really forcing it. And then Josh Allen hits this gorgeous shot down the pipe to Diggs. And it was like, oh, yeah, there we go. His feet weren't even set. And he just 
flicks it sidearm, hits it 30 yards down the pipe, and it was against cover two. So it was like perfect. It was Colts kept trying to disguise it at first. They're showing single high, running back to cover two. Showing single high, running back to cover two. They're trying to get Allen to hesitate a little bit. And then finally, Allen, after I think it was about two series, was like, okay, I know what you're doing. Flings it, one by three formation, speed at three, just like we talked about that you talked about. They love doing what Knox, wasting him onto the one side, and they put Diggs at the three spot. And Allen has enough time. He's trusting his O-line. The Bills O-line played awesome, by the way. They but were they he, were great awesome, in this game. Awesome. I mean, uh, Colts... Yeah, right away I want to talk about this because it was it was like, okay, Colts aren't generating pressure. Colts aren't generating pressure. So they brought pressures and kind of some cool little exotics too. And Bill's O-line and running back, Singletary did a great job of protection the whole game. Like they were just passing it off like it was nothing. They couldn't generate anything up front. And when you Allen, Josh Allen doesn't have to make the crazy, even when he broke contain a couple times, it was because he was just doing it on purpose. It wasn't like he was getting pressure and he's like, I got to break a tank. It was like, it was the controlled, okay, step up. There and were out. a couple like, plays in the first couple drives, but other than that, for the most part, you're completely right. And even, it, it was so funny because I think this was a perfect combination and a really telling combination for Allen about all the different ways he can beat you. So the play to Diggs, I think is a perfect example. And that's the Bills at their best, right? So you have that three by one formation with Knox as the single receiver in line on the right. They love doing that, and they it really does create stuff for them. They usually run a corner route to that side and flood it with Knox. They fake that. Allen pumps it and comes back to Diggs in the middle of the field. It was beautiful. So that's what they can do with design, right? And then when the design breaks down, you have those plays. The two that jump out, I mean, substantially, are the ones on the final drive of the half when they went down and they scored. Mm-hmm. You had the one rolling right to Gabriel Davis and then the one rolling left to Gabriel Davis. And it's like, <laughs> holy shit, man. And then the other one that really jumped out, this drive was quietly really important. And I, I think that it gets overlooked because they it wasn't like a big touchdown drive. But the one where they had a couple big first downs in the four minute to bleed some clock, there was the play. It was right before the fumble that was like made it third and 30 that they moved the ball a little bit. Kenny Moore came off the slot Allen got him to jump, ran, moved, slid left a little bit, and found Diggs down the left sideline. Those are all the out-of-structure plays, and they were necessary in this game because of how well the Colts' defense played. Yeah, and really in the third quarter, the Colts were going, they're like, okay, we were showing this, so it's just sitting too high. And how the Bills countered that was they went to empty formation. And being an empty puts a little strain in cover two, especially when you have a quarterback that can use his legs and use, use his own legs as a check down because – you're putting five in the box. It's a four-man rush, and then it just spread. You're putting strain uh, on the sides. And guess what? That's how good the Bills' line was, was that they could protect and didn't have to worry about it. They ran a QB draw with Allen that was just keeping them honest. So the quarter ends. Bills were driving, just torching them, torching them. Quarter ends. You know what happens when the quarter usually ends and you're torching a defensive coordinator? They can get their long play calls in. Aware for blitz, aware for a pressure coming because all of a sudden they're like, hey, we're getting lit up. Okay, you know, screw this when we just go like, oh, cloud this, cloud this. Okay, I'm giving you the long play call with the blitz. And then sure enough, Colts came out with the blitz out of the quarter. Bills were ready for it and they just punished them with uh, against those blitzes. And it was just like the protection was so good and the Bills were just ready for that. Like Allen just sits there in the pocket, reads across, and he hits the, the beautiful touchdown to Diggs. And it's just like he's able to look and progress throughout the entire play and hit this go ball. And his arm is so good that he can throw it late. He can actually progress. Yeah. If I were throwing this with my my arm, you have to throw. It's three, hitch, hitch it, and throw. Allen doesn't have to do that. He can look, 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 and hit it late. But he can throw it with such – he can throw it with – 
heat and touch at the same time, like a looping line drive into the into the gap. The play was different, but the ball and the trajectory and the way it looked coming out of his hand was similar to the touchdown he hit against cover zero against Miami last yeah, week. Yeah, on the Sluggo route last week. Yeah. Exactly. Same same corner of the end zone. It was going the yep. same exact way, same corner. I know it. And the, and the corner that I was covering it kind of did the same thing. Like, really? <laughs> I just get a hit with that in the back corner of the end zone? And that's what, that's what Allen can do. And when they are lining these guys up and they have these weapons going at it and they're protecting like this, that is impossible to stop. I don't care who you are. You can't stop that. If Allen's not making any mistakes whatsoever, it's too much. It's, it's just a lot. That's a lot to defend for an entire game, especially a defense that's not comfortable blitzing and, you know, and like they're protecting it when they do. Uh, on the flip side, though, like the Colts looked like the red Texas Tech Red Raiders. Like, just, I want to get into oh my that. God, just I want to get into that. Let's. I want to get into that before we do that, though. I want to talk about Allen's mobility in a yeah. big picture way, because one of the things that I think the single element of this game that jumped out to me the most, and the disparity between these two teams, is what it looks like when your quarterback can make plays with his legs, either as a runner or extending, and when he can't. And I really think we saw two eras of football on display here. One that is soon to be extinct and one that is the future. I had a conversation before this year's draft with Jordan Palmer, who trains Josh Allen. He has a lot of these guys. He's obviously very, has his finger on the pulse of the quarterback world. And he told me that Jared Goff will be the last number one pick of quarterbacks that have no movement skills, that can't make something happen and pick something up with their legs. And I think that's true. Just based on where the sport is going and the answers that guys like that give you. Even if you're Phillip Rivers and you've seen everything, if the defense calls something perfect, you don't have an answer. You can't will a guy open, but you can will yourself to a first down with your legs. You can create more time, create more space in the ways that Allen does. And I just think that that this season especially has been such an example of what it's like when you do or do not have one of those guys. And it just gives teams such a market advantage. We joked about it. Rivers had one scramble the entire season. And even the bottom five sack percentages, it was all the old guys. It was Big Ben, it was Rodgers, it was Breeze, it was Brady, and then it was Mahomes. I think the how we have to look at these guys, um, this new breed of quarterback too, especially, is not only they're, they're athletic and they have these good arms and stuff like that, it's just how big they are. These guys were yeah. tight, at, tight ends 10, 15 years ago. I mean, they scramblers of old the mike vicks of what we picture the randall cunningham's the mike vicks you know even the steve young's like yeah like quarterbacks got more athletic but they also got bigger like the quarterbacks rather than in the early 2000s rather every quarterback becoming peyton manning every quarterback became dante culpepper like that's 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 right how it that's the path that went down and it makes sense i mean Athletes are just getting better and bigger and smarter. And now we're seeing that in the NFL, which is awesome. We're seeing what other sports are getting these evolutions of athletes and scheme and, and just analytics coming involved. And now we're seeing it with football and we get, it's not just like, Oh, it's that offensive line or defensive line. We've seen that when Julius Peppers came in the league and guys like that defensive line, we haven't seen that quarterback. And now we're in this new era where it's becoming regular. 
Like, you know, like if it's, it's becoming this new thing, it's unbelievable what these guys can do. And I agree with that. The Jared Goff is going to be the last of that breed, because even if you picture Baker right now, like Baker Mayfield, no one would consider Think him about that third down he picked up today. Think about that key third down he picked up today. He just yes. can get it with his legs. Think about even yep. what Wolford gives the Rams that yeah. Jared Goff does not. And yep. it's so funny because when Brady and Breeze and Rivers and Roethlisberger, when they're done, it'll be the end of an era yes. of quarterbacks when they were drafted, but it'll also be the end of an era of a certain type of quarterback. And I don't think it's an accident that those guys can still survive in the league because they can win with their brain. Yeah. They can find answers with their mind. But I don't know if any non-mobile quarterback will ever be able to play long enough now to have that catalog of information and experience to have those answers. It's almost a catch-22 where it, it can't exist because of the way the sport is now. Yeah. And I truly do feel like we will just never see a long-term starting quarterback like this again. Even like guy like Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow can move. He can pick yeah. up stuff with his legs. He has movement skills just enough. And these guys don't. And I just think it is going to be a closed chapter on a version of football we grew up with, we came to understand, and it will influence the types of people and the types of players that people are looking for and that are encouraged to play quarterback. And I think it will make the sport more dynamic. And I think it's a good thing overall. But it is just so telling when you see those two teams lined up against one another. I think even it's becoming just so much more accepted with the coaches. And now it used to be everybody wanted to be Bill Walsh in the West Coast offense. Hey, three step, five yep. step. Hey, you got to look here at three step, five step, seven step. Uh, you, oh, you're hit. You're late. You're late. You're late. That's wrong. Sack. You know, and it's just like that's the stress that you used to have mentally. And now it's, hey, you hit the top of your drop. One's not open. Go make a play. Hey, scramble, Joe. We're going to practice scramble, Joe. We're yep. going to practice scramble, Joe. Hey, this is. And everyone's become comfortable with it. This is how the league's going. This is how football's just going. It's just a matriculation, or not matriculation. It's just the the steady progression of all this, and it's it's just really cool. I I I do want to say though, it's like like props. Philip Rivers did play great. I mean, it's just it stinks that he. So had to let's go out get this into way. that. Yeah. So let's I mean, get into he that. did some great. He did some good stuff, man. I mean, I, I mean, they meshed him to death. I liked the Texas Tech offense. I enjoyed <laughs> no. watching it. It was great. They ran mesh so many times. And for people that don't know, we've talked about mesh a little bit on the show in the past. It's really just those two receivers crossing about five yards past the line of scrimmage. Is yep. that typically? Four to six so yards. They're taught, they're, they're taught to clap hands like when you're yes. actually literally teaching it. Yeah. They, so they teach you to clap hands in order so your spacing is correct. And then yep. you can do a lot of stuff either behind it or off of it. I tweeted a play out today. The one I love that they use is that they run the tight end on a corner route to the right side. And it's my favorite play because Philip Rivers is the best corner route thrower, I think, in the history of the NFL. Like, legitimately, he just yeah. the touch he puts on those balls is perfect. And he's really good at crossing routes on mesh. So that's where they were just doing that play. And it's beautiful. And that one, and then the other one that they ran a few times that I, it was that cross country route that you really like, where you have two yeah. guys on the left, one guy on the right. The two guys on the left clear out. And then you run the crosser back behind it. They hit that to Pittman more than once. Mm -hmm. And Rivers was just putting those on the money. That play is pretty freaking awesome because I, I love it because they do it proper. Like I, the Cardinals ran the exact same play. They had no check down underneath and it's all full man. It's seven man slide. And then so Kyler was just sitting back in the pocket because they, the team that he played week 17, the Rams covered it like it was nothing. 
Meanwhile, the Colts still run it with play action. And so they run it how I like it, like where they have, you have somebody underneath that's holding the flat. So that's where that over comes under, comes wide open. Yeah. Or if there's someone, a team brings a pressure, it's going to get picked up. Same thing. The flat is influenced or that area of the field's influenced. When you run those stuff, that stuff properly and you run the protections properly with stuff, it's just, it's almost stealing. I mean, what the Rams have done for years and years, what McVeigh's done with it is basically it's just reading out like a naked concept and just having the over and something underneath. And as opposed to just being all the way outside and simple, it's just doing it from the pocket. And for Rivers to do it, it's just like, that's just stealing. Oh, how were you freaking out when Mo Alley Cox just snatched that one? That one? Oh, like, it was amazing. Oh, and that's it was like amazing. A- just snatch that Rivers rebound running mesh to Mo Alley Cox is like my favorite version of football. So yeah, river. I thought rivers <laughs> played extremely well. I thought the Colts played extremely well. Of they course, did. this game was going to come down to a Philip rivers, two minute drive with the game on oh, the line. And oh. the most, the disappointing thing about it is obviously that's going to be a loss in his, you know, ledger for the rest of the time. But I think that if you're going to ding the Colts for something, I think you should is the way they manage some of these situations in this game. I am totally fine with trying to score the touchdown there at the end of the half to go up 17-7. to I can understand some criticism of the calls. So on third and one, they run that pitch to Taylor. He -hmm. gets dropped in the the backfield. I get why you'd want to try to get the ball on the perimeter there with how much trouble you were having inside. If mm-hmm. you're getting a your big 230 pound back one on one with a DB in that moment, he should win. He didn't. Mm-hmm. The Taron Johnson tackled awesome all game. He and when you play the way the Bills do, when you you need your nickel to be a really good run defender, and he did that on, on in this game. He was really good. Then you run a crosser, the type that you've been eating on all day. That is a staple of your offense. It's just outside of Pittman's outstretched hands. That. I understand, and I'm not going to bury Frank Reich for. Some of the other decisions in this game, though, very, very questionable. The challenge that he did on that fumble from Singletary that they knew they were going to lose, that timeout is so crucial to have. They lose that timeout, they're down to one. They use it at 238, and it was so funny because that was that like third and 30 play. The Bills did not run the ball. They Allen was running for his life and threw a desperation ball to Devin Singletary that he caught, mm-hmm. and the and the Colts had to use their third time out at two thirty eight. I don't know what the math would tell you on that. You lose thirty eight seconds, obviously, if it ticks down to the two minute warning. I wouldn't have called timeout there because then you have no timeouts left, and it changes what you can do on that drive. Even if the timing, you maybe lose 10 more seconds than you would, I think having one to burn in your back pocket so you can stop it at any moment would have been worth it in that. Because if you go back to the two-minute drive the Bills had, for example, at the end of the first half, they ran two quarterback runs to Allen because they had the timeout. It opens the menu of stuff you can use so much wider, and I really think that hurt the, the, the Colts on that drive. It doesn't help that they ran a four-yard pass to Mo Alley-Cox oh. with 150-something left. They snapped the ball at 132. On fourth down and one, they ran the ball, and 30 seconds ticked off. That's mm-hmm. the type of stuff that's going to kill you. It's not going forward on fourth down and trying to score touchdowns. It's really torpedoing your potential two-minute drive with some of those decisions. That was the most frustrating part of that game for me. 
<laughs> this game for the Colts, it's like they do so much good stuff. They run mesh over and over because they know the Bills were going to be in quarters and they might bring a pressure and mesh has great answers versus pressures. But against quarters, it's great because they knew that the linebackers weren't passing it off. So rather than overthinking it, they just did it over and over and get, you know, it, it was kind of like a Michael Bay film. Like they do a lot of actiony, like fun stuff, but then there's a lot of just like bad shit that you're just like, I can't say that was good. You know, like they, they have that, <laughs> they have that out and up TD, the Doyle, and it's awesome. They run a switch release with Pittman and it's just like, they influence everybody to play action. Rivers knows it's going to be open the whole time. He's just staring at it out and up touchdown. They run mesh over and over and over. They go for it. They do this aggressive stuff, and then they just kind of screw it up. And it, it really is like just watching Armageddon or like Bad Boys Two or something like that. It's just like, yeah, it, okay, that's entertaining. They do some stuff, but then they just fall apart in the end. Like it's just like I can't call that good. Like at the end of the at the end of the day, it's kind of frustrating. And I feel bad for Rivers. I'm going to say it again because I mean, even on top of that, they had drops too. It's like the Colts just they couldn't get out of their own way. It's like they're trying to set themselves up to put themselves in good situations, and they just. They just like just couldn't get out of their own way at the end of the day. And yeah, I, I, I won't put all the head coach. It's just sometimes one of those things that it just it's just one of those days. It's just one of those days where things just didn't break right, even when you were trying to do the right things. I think they're really well coached for the most they part. Are. I think they, 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 really they, they put their guys in great spots. It's a tough moment for Frank Reich. And yeah. like the Steelers, a lot of questions for them. They are in a much different position than Pittsburgh obviously <laughs> yeah. they have yeah. the most cap space in the NFL they have a very young roster they're going to be able to shape this thing the biggest question obviously is what's going to happen with Rivers that's unanswerable right now uh, the Colts I think are maybe the most interesting team of the entire offseason because any one of these quarterback plans is on the table like mm-hmm. they are the team if one of the teams in the top five don't want to draft one the Colts are ready if they mm-hmm. love one of these guys they are ready because they have the draft picks. They have so many young ascending players on their team. It's like, all right, we're ready to do this. So I'll be very curious to see what their offseason plan is, but we'll have a lot of time to talk about that. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's move on to the next game here. Rams 30, Seahawks 20. Uh, Nate, I would say this was a somewhat of a showcase for Brandon Staley and the Rams defense. Uh, Russell Wilson in this game ends up going 11 for 27 for 174 yards. If you take out that desperation toss to DK Metcalf, Russell Wilson finishes this game. 10 of 26 for 123 yards, even for a Seahawks offense that was sputtering in the second half of the season. That is a rough, rough day. And I think that you can give a lot of the credit for that to Brandon Staley, the Rams defensive staff, and their guys playing lights out for four straight quarters. 
four straight quarters, even with Donald out, they yes, just didn't, yes. didn't miss a beat. Like <laughs> that shocked me that, I mean, as much as I love Staley and everything they've done this season, it's like that, the fact that it was like, nope, they're still performing and just locking the Seahawks down right now. Uh, so you were uh, telling me on yesterday when we were talking, you were saying yeah. that it was so obvious how well coached they are. Yeah. And I think that that's, I had the same thought while watching this, but what specifically leads you to that conclusion? There's a sequence I, I posted this morning on Twitter because I rewatched it this morning, uh, Sunday morning being <laughs> we're doing this Sunday night. But in those match coverages, Seahawks were doing it a lot of time in single high, and we've seen Zimmer do it for years. This one is more out of quarters, the two high structure with this. A way to attack this is four by one concept. So usually in a football concept, you're running a three by one or two by two, and a two by two, the back goes in one direction. So the concepts play out either in a three by two sense, typically. A four by one, you're overloading it. And what you're trying to do is influence the match rules, especially with motion right before the snap. And you can see the Seahawks do that a lot. They'll line up in a three by one formation with the back weak uh, to Russell's, say if it's a right formation, backs weak to Russell's left, and they speed motion at the, at, right at the snap. And what they're trying to do is put strain on the communication because the defense in those match rules has to operate on a strain. They really just have to go, okay, I got this, I got number two, I got number three, just all communicating, all seeing the same things and all having the same number count at the exact same time. And there's at least five of these plays, and none of these are involving Ramsey or Donald, by the way, that this defense is one unit. It is just a, it is a beehive. They are just a cohesive unit, everybody seeing at the same time. And this is against – it's not just a typical – you know, curl flats or something like that that's trying to beat this cover. This is stuff that's really designed. There are shot plays that are trying to design to strain this defense. And the Rams defense is just passing it off. And that's why Russell is he's looking at one because he's like, oh shoot, all week we were beating this with, you know, a switch vertical up the sideline, a swing route right over here, because they're gonna not pass it off how they should. Rams pass it off correctly every single time. The only touchdown that touchdown that happened early to DK before the Rams got really it was a broken play. And if you watch it on it, the Rams are running the routes for the Seahawks players. They're running, running for them. They're like, oh, I got your dig. Like they're two yards in front of it. And Russ, you know, was not seeing it well at all. And seeing that on top of it is just like the uh, Barnwell had a nice tweet uh, this, this week, this weekend. He said the worst QBR went on pressure in a game during a 2020 season. It was Sam Darnold had one at 3.5 against the Colts. And number two was Russell Wilson versus the Rams. He had a 4.0 QBR when he was unpressured, which is insane. That's incredible that you think Russell Wilson on pressure is just going to be bombs away. And it was not bombs away. It was a whole game of that. And it's not just the top players that are doing this. This is the entire team that he's coaching up. He's getting six round picks that look godly at times. It's incredible what they're doing as an entire unit. So I want to get into the Ramsey Donald Staley conversation in a second, but let's talk about some of those more unheralded guys and running routes. Darius Williams' interception on that screen was fucking yeah. ridiculous. Ridiculous. It, and that is recognition. When you got Richard Sherman going nuts over it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that is recognition. And that is it. I see it. I'm going. And he did that a few different times. There was a play on the first drive that I loved. The Seahawks were in that three by one nub formation with the tight end as the single receiver on that side. The same one we talked about with Knox and that completion. Mm-hmm. And when they do that, he's an outside leverage, Williams is as the corner on that tight end. So you'd think that the Seahawks were trying to run an in-breaking route on third and six to take advantage of that, which they did. Mm-hmm. But he read it the whole time. He's breaking <laughs> on it instantly. He's sitting there in Jacob Hollister's pocket. He did that. Johnson on another third down, very similar thing. 
did a great job of reading uh, Russell's eyes. He was actually playing a little bit lower. They were in a single high look before the snap, which is different for them. But just a perfect play on the ball on third and seven to knock it away. There was a two-play stretch. This is one made my favorite stretch of the entire game for them. Ramsey took Metcalf down about a yard short of the sticks in space. Really physical tackle. Very nice play. The next play coming back to it, they just stuffed them on third and one. It was yeah. 94 and 69. Sebastian Sheldon De- or Joseph Day, who's really good for them in the run game. They had a couple of those on third and one today. The other one, 45. I have no idea who he is. Took on Hollister as like a coming across the formation. Somehow fought him off the cut block and then just stuffed Carlos Hyde for a TFL to torpedo a drive. This team playing in these light boxes with these dudes we've never heard of, making these plays on third and one. They do this shit all the time. It's Darius Williams and Morgan Fox mm-hmm. and all and these guys. And I know they have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, and we can get into this conversation now, okay? I think that Brandon Staley is truly special. And we've talked about him a lot on the show, over the and their, their defense a lot on the show over the course of the season. I told you this yesterday, and I think it's important to point out. I had a conversation with him earlier this month, or in in December. We talked for probably twenty five minutes. And my co- one of my professors in college, he it was a very good bit of advice for a journalist. He used to say to me, "Don't think you know somebody because you talk to them for fifteen minutes." And I've carried that with me for my entire career. He told me that fifteen years ago, and I was trying to check myself with the Staley thing. Because after I talked to him, I was like, that guy's just different, man. And I've kind of allowed myself to believe it. Because I think coaching is so much about communication, especially as a defensive coach. Especially when you're trying to communicate to your players why they're doing things, what the rules are, everything else. And he was a very good communicator. And that comes across. And that's what he's doing with these guys. Just because he has Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, that shouldn't disqualify the job that he's doing. (laughs) Because as a coach, your entire job is to put your players in positions for them to succeed. It's not like he's doing what the Steelers are doing, where we're lining up, it's 11 on 11, our 11 guys are better than yours. They are pushing edges schematically unlike any other team in the league. He is weaponizing Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey unlike any other coaches would be able to. And we've seen the control group for this. We've seen what Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey look like in a different defense. And guess what? Every defense in the NFL, for the most part, they don't have Aaron Donald, but they probably have at least one elite guy, often two. We did the bang. We did our All Pro show. I had two Bengals in my sec on my second team All Pro defense. Every team has at least one or two guys. It's about building a system around those guys. What he is doing with the Rams defense is different than what they did in Chicago, building around guys like Khalil Mack and Eddie Jackson. It's slightly different. It's the same as offense. You have the bones of a system that you feel like give you an advantage, and you filter that system through the best players on your team. And that's exactly what the Rams have done while pushing the limits schematically, unlike defenses we've ever seen in the NFL. I don't understand how you can come to the conclusion after watching them all season and think, well, he has Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. What he's doing isn't that impressive. Yeah, I didn't watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and go, well, of course, Quentin Tarantino made a good movie. He's got 
Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Like I did. That's not my first thought. It goes, what a freaking great movie that was. And he unlocked, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt and knew what to do with them. And that's the exact same thing that these coaches do. It's, it gets frustrating a little bit because you'll maybe it's just cause it's you're on, I'm, I'm on Twitter or whatever, but what people are just like, Oh, I, I've seen a college do that. I, that's not in special. They do that in the big 12. That's not special. They do this. Well, guess what? There's 32 teams in the league. 31 other defense coordinators could have ran this shit. Yes. <laughs> and he's running it and he's doing it well and coaching it well. Offensive guys always have, if you have a stud quarterback, can make you freaking right. You can do that quarterback can make you right. Even if you are a bad coach, if you have bad guys around, the quarterback can always make you right. Defense, you don't have that. An offense doesn't have to throw at your star corner. A de- offense can slide and protect and do other things. Can run away from especially your on alignment. defense. You need eleven guys to do what they're doing. Especially on defense, moving in the same direction. Direction. That's why that four by one example is such. If you watch it, they're on a string. Please, like, please try and find it. If you just watch it on YouTube or something, they are on a string working together. And that's where if anyone could have done this, they could be coaching it this way. And you know, it's the social network line. It's it's if they would have invented Facebook, they would have invented Facebook. Like that's that's they would have done it. But guess what? He's doing it and he's doing it well. And it's just so much fun to watch and just enjoy watching it. Cannot wait to see this defense go against the Packers next week. Oh, I can't. I can't either. I can't wait to see what they're going to design. Like, are they going to move Ramsey around, put him at the star position in the nickel spot? Are they, you know, like just, just let him follow Devontae around? How does it? Yeah, it's, I, I it's, it, the, the questions are, and I, I completely agree with you. This isn't like Frank Vogel rolling the ball out to LeBron James and Anthony yeah. Davis. Football is not like that. No. It's, of course, they're going to be plays where having the best defensive player in the NFL puts you in positions to succeed. Yeah. You're going to say, well, he couldn't do that without Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. That's the point. You build yeah. your defense <laughs> such that you can't do that without these guys. Yeah. They're going to get a cheapy sack or an incredible pick. They're going to do it. That's why they're star players. It's all the other plays <laughs> that matter. <laughs> That's what matters. You have to build up. The, it, it's Yeah. It, guys, I it, I know Darius Williams has turned out to be a really good player, but he's turned out to be a really good player in part because of the positions he's being put in to succeed. And I think Aubrey Pleasant, who's their defensive backs coach, is clear doing a fantastic job I think he has for several years the players are great but the coaches are also great and when those two things come together that's what you see right now and if I I said this during the game and I firmly believe it if you were hiring a head coach right now I'm putting I'm putting him on a zoom if even if you are weary about defensive head coaches and I think you should be because I like we talked about with the Steelers I think building around defenses there are downsides I want to hear what he thinks about offensive football. I want to hear why he does the things he does on defense. If you care about the game, I think you should want to have a three-hour conversation with this person to pick his brain about the the ways he's approaching things and why. Because I think you would learn something. And this is free information. You might as well (laughs) have the conversation with him because I do think that he can do cool things. And I'm not, I I know even before I say this, people are going to jump down my fucking throat about it. One of the reasons the Patriots were so successful for so long is that Bill Belichick could teach offense to his quarterback because he knew what defenses were doing. I'm not saying Brandon Staley is Bill Belichick, but I think based on everything I've heard about him, talking to him, what their defense looks like, and again, the communication stuff, which is Sean McVay's greatest strength, by the way. I think I would love to have him talking to my quarterback every week about some of the stuff that they do to him, what he should be looking for, everything else. I really do think that he is a top 1% sort of football mind and 
deserves the opportunities that will come along with it. Yeah, we even uh, me being in the coaching world and being like just being around it my whole life, you think it's just game day. You think it's just, oh, coaching up a couple of drills. It's everything. It's managing personalities. It's realizing strengths and weaknesses. It's self-evaluation. And it's like the idea that Kevin Stefanski was overrated because he didn't coach in that game today. Just like, no, (laughs) (laughs) and guess what? Like that's, it's so fitting that Staley's doing it with the Rams because McVay has shown that he can do that on an offensive side. I mean, or I mean, it's just I, I love watching this team just because even if sometimes it's not sexy what they do, it's just so cool just seeing well-coached teams and just everything having a purpose to what they're doing. And like just like even McVay, like if we want to touch on what they did on offense, like they got they figured out a way to get it done. Like, but they were they going just, they just enough. They were going at Jamal Adams, which is pretty Whole, cool. All they, game from from the jump, all game. Their first twelve pass attempts, seven of them were at Adams, and he gave up That's four incredible. catches for seventy eight yards. He and it was like it was obvious. Like even if you weren't looking, like we are looking for these things, it's pretty going. Like wow, thirty three just seems to be making that tackle again twenty yards down the field <laughs> because like there was the one the one to cup that got through late. That is not a throw that you you wouldn't look at an inside fade with a guy covering him seven yards off the ball. That usually that's a press man one. You're trying to beat either man coverage or a pressure of something some, of some sort. <laughs> the whole time on that play, Goff is just looking at it, just going, "Okay, let him throw run right." And then he threw it late. That's why I ended up Cup had to come back, but Cup still just made the play on it. it was great. Even getting that ball off though was impressive, and I was. thought that about Goff several times in that game. He had a double clutch because the guy was in his grill, but he gets it off late. But that's the thing; it was just like. He knew where he was going the whole time. Wolford got hit early on. He got tackled. It was an incomplete third down. He had uh, he had Everett singled up on Adams on that concept. That is, a, he had a man beater on both sides, so he could have gone either way to whatever matchup he wanted. He had a whip route going to the field. No, he stared at Everett the whole time. He was like, "No, I got thirty three on him. I'm I'm going right at him." It was just it was just interesting to watch um, that 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 was their plan and they stuck with it because. Wolford did it, and then when Goff came in, Goff did it. So obviously in the coaching room, the QB room this entire week, they had a point of emphasis. And, I mean, they had a couple of awesome plays. They had some outside zone. They had, you know, they hit the over and sit route, which, you know, they used to run all the time with Cup, and now they hit it again, which was great off of play action. They had the bootleg game was going great. They had some front side bootlegs, which was awesome. And even that touchdown the woods was awesome. That, that was my set favorite it up Oh, setting up with the run, with the run, with the run. Even Woods on it, because Woods is such a good blocker. You have to honor when he comes in to crack you. <laughs> well, they ran it the, on the previous yeah. play. On the yep. on the play before that, Woods, I think, had gone in motion. So he was not in on the, in the action. But they ran that windback play with Cup, where they have him coming back as the blocker on a yeah. counter. They yep. did that on second down. They Their first down, they gained six yards. And they went right back to that action. And had Woods leak out for the touchdown. They created awesome. just enough explosive plays in the passing game. And Jared Goff made just enough explosive plays. I, he didn't play great by any stretch, but 12 days removed from surgery, he did ju- with that thumb looking as swollen as it was. I mean, it was bad. I thought he did just enough. I thought it was an admirable performance all the way around by the by the Rams. On the flip side, what the hell do the Seahawks do now? Oh, my God. Nothing looked good, did it? Like, Russell looked lost. He's looking the wrong way on some of these plays. It's really worrisome. Even the past concepts, yeah, it's getting frustrating. Russell's always going to be a guy that can be frustrating to maybe coach or scheme up for or even cheer for, I'm sure, for Seahawks fans because you'll miss the easy throws sometimes. But it looks like some of those four-by-one plays, those are designed that the one of that four-by-one is just a man-beater, and you only look there against man coverage. And the four-side, it's zone or pressure or whatever. 
And Russell's looking at the one side against obvious zone coverage. And that's, he did it last week. And then he did it again against San Fran. And then he get, did it again this week. And it's just really scary to see that a guy that's been in the league this long, fairly simple read. And I don't know if that's what they designed it to be, but that's how I just know those types of concepts. So it's just really interesting to see Russell doing that. And that means he's not playing with confidence in what he's being asked to run or just maybe not just getting it. Sometimes a light bulb doesn't go off for a concept. Me as a quarterback, I read differently than Derek Carr, who reads differently than Jared Goff, who reads differently than Baker Mayfield, who reads differently than Tannehill. We all look at something different. You you know, it's just how it is. And I, I something's not clicking for Russell right now. It's just, it's weird. It's just really weird because the first couple of weeks of the season, he was throwing less incompletions than he did touchdowns, if I just said that correctly. But it was just ridiculous what he was doing the first half of the season. It's crazy to see how different it is now in basically week 18. I think that the lessons the Seahawks learn from the second half of the season is going to shape the next five years of their franchise. If their lesson from this is we threw the ball too much (laughs) and we need to overcorrect, I think it's going to be a problem. And I'm not saying the answer is we need to throw the ball all the time and any of that. That's not what I mean. Passing equals good, I think, is a reductionist way to think about the sport. I think they probably need a new offensive play caller and they probably need a new plan on offense. I think that should be the lesson that was learned from this. Not we threw the ball too much. If it's the latter, I think we're in for a long, long couple of years in Seattle with Pete Carroll there still as the head coach. I think that they need a total revamp on the offensive side of the ball. I think they would be well served to do that. And if they don't, I don't know how it gets any better than it was. It, how about the second half comes out? And I think it was Aaron Andrews. He's like, I just talked to Coach Carroll. And he said, you know, we got to get back to the run game. I you know, that. And I, I was like, oh. You just hear everybody screaming. All of of Seahawks Twitter just yelling into the void. (laughs) Screaming. Screaming into the abyss. I know. I know. It and I I think that it's it's a naughty conversation about what happened with the Seahawks. I think it's a lot of different things going wrong. And I you know, obviously teams were going more too high against them. So, you know, could they, should they run the ball a little bit more? How what answers do you have for that if you're not throwing the ball vertically down the field? I mean, it's just I think there's a lot of different things. But also it it's like what we talked about with just the conversation we just had with about the Rams. It's not just about what sort of plays are you dialing up against too high coverages. Do you have too high plays? Like that's not what that like it's coaching points. It's how it's what are you stressing? What like how are you tweaking things? It's just having like okay, let's go to more of the two high beaters is not that's not a thing. It's so much deeper than that, and I just think that I don't know. It really does feel like they need a total reset on that side of the ball. They need to throw everything out. Say what do we want to accomplish? What do we need? Who are our players? And just have a real kind of come to Jesus conversation with everything. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. For their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash maze, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash maze now to grow your business no matter which stage you're in. Shopify.com slash maze. Let's get to our next one here. Uh, we don't have to spend a ton of time on this game. Washington falls to the Bucks 31 to 23. We were right about Taylor Heineke. I guess that's hey. the first takeaway that I had. I mean, <laughs> he did everything that I saw in that short bit of action that he had yeah. in the regular season. When he hit that inbreaker to McLaurin in the first quarter on the time, I was like, yep. Oh, yeah. I was like, that's what he was doing. That's what he was doing. He was throwing the ball on time, reading things confidently, even over the middle of the field. It's like, oh, that's what I saw. Then, and he's just doing more of it. That's a classic Turner concept. And I know it because Coach Chris runs it. And so he hits that, that backside dig. And I was like, oh, there, there's a couple. There's about four coaches in America that are freaking out right now about it. That like they were just like, yeah, I know that one. So yeah. he did that. A couple really nice corner outs. He was exciting. The touchdown run was amazing. All of his outbreakers were beautiful. He was throwing yes. a nice touch. Yeah. I mean, the touchdown one was awesome. The best one was the one that Sims dropped. Yeah. It was down yeah. on the left yeah. sideline. That was the best yeah. one he threw. So yeah. he was fantastic. Very entertaining. You know, I, I had really enjoyed my two hours liking Taylor Heineke a lot. We'll see what happens now. So <laughs> their future, I think, is a, a conversation for an entirely different time. I want to talk about the Bucks and their offense because we spent a lot of time on last week's show going into this game talking about it. I texted you this today. I think I kind of like the Bucks offense. Like you like like them. <laughs> I, I we we have been hard on them and just how unimaginative a lot of their stuff yeah. has been over the course of the year. They are doing some stuff now that actively helps their players and ties together with the other stuff they're doing, which is all you can ask for from an offensive game plan or an offensive approach. So the touchdown to Godwin, beautiful. They mm-hmm. motion Godwin into a stack with Evans on the right side. They're in man coverage. They fuck with the leverage. That play was over 
that snap the ball, over. it was over. As soon as they played stack like that, it was done. It was like, oh, I know. I bet you the entire Bucks booth, coaching booth, was like, yes. <laughs> Guess what that looked like, by the way? That looked like a Patriots play. It did. You're yeah. in 12 personnel. You have Gronk on the backside. You motion him down into a stack. You, they do that with Edelman. They did it with Edelman 10 million times, often on third down. But play action, touchdown. Godwin set it up beautifully. Loved that play. There was a couple plays. My favorite two-play sequence in the entire game. In the first half, I think it still was. They set up a nice little screen to Fournette, which I like them getting back to more screens. So again, easy plays that help your offense. They came out and they ran a corner route with a go on the outside to Evans, just a 9-7 combination to Evans out of 12 personnel with play action. Same kind of idea where Brait was on the right side in the slot and Gronk was backside in line as a blocker. Hit Brait on the corner, beautiful, love it. They came back, same drive. Instead of the corner in that same sort of formation, Brait broke it back over the middle of the field mm-hmm. as a little bit of a counter. It's like, oh, this stuff is tying together. It's tying together. Yep. And they have the talent that if they're going to start finding a groove like that, they left which is, I think that they are really, really dangerous because that's all they needed was a plan that was going to get the most and make things a little tiny bit easier on this absurdly talented group of players. And they're doing the old school 12 personnel stuff where they're going only to like ace formations or dot as I know them, but ace formations, the two, you know, 12 personnel and balanced formations on top of the hip slot stuff that we've talked about. And they're running similar stuff out of these looks. And it's just like old school play action. If you ever watched early, early Colts and Tom Moore and stuff or air Correll like stuff, this is, I mean, this is what it looks like. This is what Arians ran when he was around the Colts for a couple of years with Peyton Manning for those for a couple of years at the turn of the century. And it's just funny seeing it again. And it gets unlocked a little bit because Gronk is a kick-ass pass protector still. He's locking down Chase Young one-on-one over and over and over. It was awesome to watch. It was It was awesome. so impressive. It's not like two times a game. He was doing It's It's a straight one-on-one pass set. He might as well just be kickstab. <laughs> That's exactly right. It's not like a chip. It's not like helping out. It nope. is him pass blocking like a tackle against the guy who is the defensive rookie of the year and the number yeah. two pick in the draft. Basically a seven-step drop. And yes. it's like it's legit stuff. And camera break, it's I mean, having two useful tight ends that can kind of do everything and you don't have to hide them on the backside. It's that can be a pain in the ass for defenses to guard because then they go, Who's the strength? Who are we declaring the strength? Are we going to Gronk's side if they're in a balanced set? So that can really play with what they want. And there it's not by accident that they kept Gronk in, obviously, to block, but having break catch all those. And I've noticed too, is I think they've really honed in. We saw it real early in the year and they've kind of because just we talked about it, it just this Bucks offense is even more impressive than we've given it credit for, is I think they've really gotten comfortable with how Brady wants his progressions on his plays, and mm-hmm. everything is cross field, left to right or right to left. There's no um, one to two to three like triangle read. There's no um, split field reads and reading single high to the side, two high to this side. Everything is working left to right or right to left. And I think they're just like, okay, we like this play action stuff. We like these kind of old school three by one formations. Okay. If it's three by one, Mike Evans is singled up. We're going there. If it's three by one, we got a three man combination. Okay. If, if it's anything else and then they can just go all these play action stuff. Brady's just going left to right. I mean, it, that's literally what the progression is. And it's, it works so well because he's just hitting overs and then he can hit the backside. And now you can check it down. 
and it's just working. They're just honed in on what they have, and it looks so impressive. I mean, just they're using those guys, and they got some fantastic weapons. This, I mean, it's just traditional concepts, but when you have the guys that are running them like they do, it just looks beautiful. It's like, oh, man, why does every team run this? It's like, oh, yeah, because their, their players are better. You don't have Chris Godwin and Mike Evans and Antonio Brown as your Z and Scotty Miller coming off the bench, two useful tight ends. Thank you for mentioning Scotty with that. I appreciate that. I knew have that was to. thrown in for me. I had to, I had to, I, it's a token. I think, I think we have to get him every single week. <laughs> so Brady goes 22 of 40 for 381. Easy 381 too. <laughs> there was the play, the, the play that really strikes out to me is the one where he hit to Evans down near the goal line in the second half yeah. where he had to step and avoid young. Cause they had a six offensive lineman and chase young had an inside move and Brady had to step away from him and step up in the pocket. Does it delivers to Mike Evans. I saw that play and I just, I said to myself, I need to step back and appreciate what that is because I think with Brady, it's so easy to just say he's Tom Brady. Like yeah. this is what we should expect. Tom Brady is 43 years old. What we're watching is crazy. They were the number one offense in EPA per play in the league over the second half of the season with a 43-year-old quarterback playing at this level. I was listening to Dak Shepard's podcast this week. <laughs> I was I was driving a lot. I actually really like it. It's for people that like it's new it's the new year if you're thinking more about like self-improvement and stuff like that. He has like a lot of mindfulness people on and stuff. And Brady was on there. This is an older episode from earlier this year. And I was sitting there listening to it. And it was informative and helpful because it was just a reminder that Tom Brady is a person. Like, yeah. Tom Brady is a real person. Like he was talking about his kids and his dad and all of this stuff. And I think it's so easy to see Tom Brady as this wax figure of a man that's like almost like a statuesque thing. Like he lives in the bronze that he'll be in in Canton, I think, in my mind a lot of the time. And he's 43 years old. He's a human man that is doing this at this age. And it's absolutely unbelievable. And I think it's just worth taking a step back and appreciating and not just throwing it in the Tom Brady is great bucket with all the stuff that we've seen over the last 20 years. Yeah. And it's, we wanted to dog him and it's like early in the season. I, I not we, but just like a, a few people like, Oh, is his arm strength still there? It's like, I mean, the fact that it's even like competent is impressive. The fact that yes. it's good still is, I mean, he's throwing deep balls. He's throwing bombs away. It's not like he's just dinking and dunking back there running quick game over and over and over. This is high-level QB stuff he's still being asked to do, and it's not like it's a safe offense that he can just tuck in and just curl up and take, like you know, hide from hits, and they're like, oh, okay, they're really making it safe for him. They're like, no, they're putting him in harm's way, and he's still standing and delivering. It is impressive. It's, it is like a 40-something-year-old pitcher going out there and pitching 35, ga- for 35 games or something. It, it's, it's ridiculous what he's doing. It's Jordan coming back with the Wizards and scoring 20 a game. Like, it's, just, it's pretty crazy what he's doing right now. We, I, I, I completely agree with you. We have to appreciate it. So uh, we'll have a lot of time to talk about Washington. I think that the kind of wrap up of the Washington season is they're respectable. Like yeah. they are, they're a real team. They played in a real way. Their quarterback situation is definitely the biggest question. You know, they're a team that I think could do some stuff with a real quarterback. They'll have some money. I think they need more weapons, but their offensive line has some pieces. I think they mm-hmm. absolutely could use a left tackle. We'll see how they address that spot. But the defensive front will be back next year. You know, we'll see what happens with the back seven. They have some really good players. They're well coached. I was impressed with what they did this year, but they still have a long way to go before they're in a conversation with some of these other teams in the NFL. So let us move on to our next game here. Ravens 20, Titans 13. 
I was at this game. Yeah. I got there about at kickoff because I slept in Louisville last night in order to not miss any of the Saturday games because I you know, broke the drive up into two uh, two days. And I am time zones are undefeated against me. <laughs> I have no idea how they work. And it I was going from Eastern to Central, even though it was a two hour drive, and I had gone from Central to Eastern on the way. So I totally fucked it up and I got there like at kickoff, but I, I saw the game. And I have never seen Lamar Jackson play in person before. The scramble was absolutely insane. I mean, just the level of acceleration and watching the angles get erased from that vantage point. Pro Football Reference tweeted today that the two longest touchdown runs by a quarterback in NFL history are the run that Kaepernick had against the Packers in the 2013 game and Lamar's today. I was at both of those games, which is really funny. I was nice. at that Kaepernick game. I, it's the fact that it was eight years ago now. I, I'm so old. At Candlestick, so much too, wasn't it? At Candlestick. Only, oh first and only game I've ever seen at Candlestick. The first game I saw at Candlestick was the last game played there. The first game I saw in the Georgia Dome was the last game played there. The NFC Championship game in 2016. So very random stuff. But yeah. the Lamar in-person thing, watching the way he moves on the field is really cool. I did not appreciate it fully until you're there. And he was their offense today. I mean, the plays he made with his legs was a huge part of what they did because for the most part, this game was much uglier, much lower scoring, much more of a defensive battle than either of us expected. I thought it was going to be a track meet. And, you know, no pun intended. And it's watching Lamar sometimes is like, it's like an alternate reality. It's like if Randy Moss played quarterback or something yeah. like that. Like that's what it's kind of lo- like watching. If the sometimes. best athlete on the field was the quarterback, yeah. Vic is the only thing that's ever come close to it. It's pretty ridiculous. It's the like, and the huge difference too is, yeah, you could run this GT stuff, the, these counter stuff, these read plays, and teams run it across the league, and they run zone reads and stuff. And I think Kyle Shanahan made a great point about this. Uh, when they drafted Johnny Manziel, or I think it was maybe after that, he was talking about just quarterback speed and athleticism and stuff. And I'm sure you know about it, but he, because Kyle Shanahan said it, do you think I just have an encyclopedic knowledge of everything that Kyle Shanahan's ever said? I do. Watch this. I'm going to watch your face when I say this. So he was talking about RG3 running zone read. And he said, well, RG3 is a legit 4-4 guy getting to the edge. Johnny Manziel is, yeah, he's athletic, but he's a 4-6 guy getting to the edge. And guess what? You know how fast that DN can run run in the NFL? Probably about four four or four five. Yeah, yeah. So there's a big difference when you have a legit guy that can actually get to the edge, and that's where some of these big guys like the Josh Allen's of the world too can they can get to the edge because they're so big and athletic getting out there. And you know, Cam was the first one that kind of did that. But then, like, that's what that's the difference with Lamar. It's yeah, it's different. It's different. It's different. You see, call it looks like it looks like an SEC guy doing it against a uh, Sun Belt team, like, but he's doing it in the NFL because he's getting to the edge like that. Cam's Cam could get to full speed, but Cam didn't it's have too strides. No the acceleration, yeah. Lamar does. Yeah, the, the fact that Cam Lamar can just go from zero to sixty instantly, like on that touchdown, it's just yeah. different. And have the vision, the vision paired with it. That, oh yes, like, absolutely, exactly, exactly. That that last play, or that that long touchdown, like you're talking about, was third and long. It ends up, it, it was a too high stuff, I think, believe that the Titans ran, and it ends up playing out like mad just because of how they have to match it and everything. But Lamar knows he went to the one read. He really let the he let the linebackers kind of get the tight end and running back and open up, 
And then he just navigated the pocket and just became Lamar. And a couple of cool runs, I think you were about to ask me. Like, I mean, they had the QB wineback play. That was awesome. And that's a playoff of a zone read. You're going to make it look like zone read with the running back coming across. But the running back winds back and ends up a lead blocker. And it was the one where uh, uh, Gus Edwards ends up the lead blocker about 20 yards down the field for Lamar. I love that Lamar. play. The reason I love that play is because they had Ricard on that side. But they had Marquise Brown as the only receiver on that side, and he was in the kind of a reduced split. And for a lot of this game, the Titans had done a really good job with their second level and third level even defenders coming up to support the run. By only having Brown on that side in that side of split, you had a ton of space over there mm-hmm. with no bodies over there. And it allowed them to get to the perimeter and what it wasn't clogged up with a receiver that it was just sitting out there on the right side. That's why I, I really like that. It was also a great block by Ricard. Um, yeah. I think Brooks Reed was the edge guy on that play. Yep, he set the edge on it. Yep. I thought the Titans did a great job just with their overall plan stopping the Ravens running game. You know, Lamar had 136 yards rushing, but one of them was that huge mm-hmm. touchdown run that was a passing play. For his design runs, they strung it out a lot. They made it hard on them, and they did a lot of stuff where they had three down linemen. They had three down linemen, and they were playing everybody off the ball in order to flow side to side, and it worked for them for most of this game. And that's there was a reason why they GT counter the the counter read that we talked about last week. It's running, it's the guard and tackle pulling, and you know the running back going one way and Lamar going the other way. Why that's working was because that's what the Titans were playing on defense. They were running the they running the odd front. What you know that's a three down front and and in other terms, and that's a great play. I'd say it's just the angles and they put the stress. You can see. One Titans linebacker keying the puller and the other Titans linebacker going like, oh, what's Lamar doing? What's Lamar doing? And that's happening on the front side. And then he's handing the ball off to the running back going the other way. So it's like even before they realize what's going on, he's already four yards down the field. And it could be any running back running that. I'm just glad I'm maybe somebody at halftime just like burned Greg Roman's drop back part of his call sheet. Because I never like, want to see them run another drop back pass unless it's third. The first quarter more. was like, oh my God, is he doing it again? Like, is he going to actually do this again? And then they got away from it. And then he's just like, in the second half, it was like, oh, look, look, look what they're running. They're running, they're moving Lamar. They're in a little play action if they did pass it. And it was just all running the ball, just different versions of counter and power. And then he, they get into the red zone and he drops back on uh, first down. I think it was like second and eight or something like that. He drops back again. It was like, no, stop. Like, just stop. I get it was probably good on Wednesday, but just do not do it. It was not working. And that's not what their game is. And every time they stall on offense, that's what happens. It's drop back game. Just burn it. Give me a reason that they shouldn't use play action or an RP- the RPOs were working today. Yeah. I actually liked some of those perimeter RPOs that they have. I think it's a really smart way to just kind of catch defenses the way that they're playing them. I like them doing that kind of stuff. So give me a reason that they wouldn't use play action or an RPO or some sort of non-traditional passing play on every single early down. What, what would you do as a defense? You just start bl- you just start blitzing? If you were a defense, you start bringing pressures? But then you have to worry about the RPO stuff and all that. And it's like, it's it would put strain if you're trying to sit back in coverage. It, you know, you, you they shouldn't drop back. It should be maybe twice a game, like once a half, just to throw a little change up in there or something like that. Just something to get the ball out of his hands because it doesn't work for him. There's just- so many different things you could fold in. There's so many like little wrinkles off the play action stuff. And like the GT... They were doing it as like as was a read play today and giving it back going the other yep. way. They have so many counters to their counters. Just 
Fold the passing. Yeah. Do exactly what the Rams do. It's just like every single run concept should have a pass off. It's stuff like that. I just I want them to build it off the run game and just toss the drop back stuff into the garbage can. And that it's partly because of Greg Roman, and I just don't think that's his strength, but it's also because of their personnel. Yeah. They are not built to throw the ball. They do not have the receiving talent to drop back and beat you. They just don't have it. They don't have anybody that deserves eight targets or 10 targets. They just don't. No. Everyone deserves four targets, just like they're getting. It's They did do one nice thing. Like I think either Andrews dropped it, which is like or possible, or I think the defender made a great play on it. It was in the red zone, but they ran, to, they ran a play action off the GT counter, and it was just like, oh, there you go. There you go. That's perfect. And it didn't yes, work. But that's it's like, exactly right. Run that four more times with a different concept behind it. If you have that protection in, might as well have other concepts off of it. That's going to be your winner. Like, might as well just run it. Uh, like, we see the Titans do it all the time. All their stuff ties in together. And might not work today, but, you know, at least that's what kind of that offense really would work. And we'll see if the Ravens get to it, you know, going into next week. It didn't work today because the Ravens <laughs> defense brought oh my it God. today. Dared it. Dared today. the Titans. That's all they did the they, whole game. So early, that first drive, the first touchdown drive, A.J. Brown got the best of Marlon Humphrey a couple different times. Yep. They had him manned up. They hit him on that slot fade. They hit him on a little in-breaker, and then they had the slot fade for the touchdown. And it's like, all right, they're coming today. But for the rest of the game, the Humphrey had a couple plays where he really took it to him in that matchup. There was a couple really important, like there was a second down slot fade where they tried to get him one-on-one, didn't work. And that's why when people are like, oh, the, the Titans, you know, they, their play calling was terrible. It's like, what? It, I don't know what that means. Yeah. I don't, when you say that, I don't understand what that means. So when we get the fourth down decision that the Titans made, which we'll discuss, leading up to that, okay, second and two, they have that slot fade to Brown on Humphrey, one-on-one, a matchup that you will take based on play calling and one that worked for you earlier in the game. Humphrey did a great job breaking it up down the left sideline, okay? Third and two. They take Derrick Henry out of the game. I don't love that. But if you're going to, what they did on that play, I think, makes sense. They had Jonu Smith in the backfield. And Elliott, Jaron Elliott, was lined up. He was manned up on him, but he was the deep safety to that side. So you're thinking, that's a long way to go. Based on formation, we have two yards to get to the sticks. We're going to run a little swing to to Smith right at the sticks. He's going to catch it because it's too long. It worked. Mm -hmm. He was open. Tannehill hit him. Elliott came downhill so fast that he was able to jar it loose at the marker. Both of those plays, based on design, are advantages yeah. for the offense. The defense gets paid too. It's not just bad play calling. The Ravens just did that consistently today. And against the run, they were pushing them around. Pernell McPhee was awesome on the edge in this game. Similar to what KJ Wright did to the Rams a couple weeks ago that we were talking about. It was not a great day for Arthur Smith, but for the most part, that is the Ravens defense throwing an absolute shutout when they needed to. Yeah, they just didn't get to the game that they wanted to, but like that's a that's a great point because like in the first quarter, the man beaters that the Titans were running, they know they're going to get man against the Ravens. That's just what they run. They they have yes. awesome DBs, they have great heat up front, that's what they're going to run. And the man beaters that the Titans ran were they were great. The first uh, catch you just talked about uh, that Brown hit on Humphrey. It was on the under route on that play. It's play action. Uh, it was out of the gun. It was play action onto the boundary side. The receivers just ran clear outs because what they were yep. expecting man 
and then they knew Brown or the other outside route was also running an inbreaker catch, and they can get yards after catch on it. It was designed to have space to operate with probably one of, if not the best guy with the ball in his hands. Because I mean, just even look at the stats with AJ Brown getting yak. And on the touchdown, just the fade, the touchdown, that's as man as man can get. Off of that, they also had a 13 personnel play. They hit the the tight end. Uh, they hit Pruitt. Uh, I think you were just saying, but the, the crosser. And they hit it on it. That's a man beater. It's a quarters beater and it's a man beater. They ran, they ran 13 personnel. They motioned Henry just a little bit to give like a little indication. It was also just to undress the blitz that the uh, Ravens were showing. And they also have Johnny. That was the first, sir. Was that Pruitt? I I, I, it was, yeah, whoever the okay, title is, they, they all look alike. But <laughs> it might have been first. Well. 85 and 86 yeah, oh, are the I same. Oh, my gosh. And, but that's yeah. what's awesome about the Titans is like all their tight ends get involved. It's pretty cool, actually. But they they run with Jonathan Smith in the backfield. They run an angle route to him. And usually that play is designed. We Everybody runs. If you run Madden, you've seen the angle route score touchdowns in the red zone all the time. But they put a tight end back there. And on that, they have the crosser. Because what that is, dude, if that was man with a hole player, the crosser would occupy the hole player, and then you hit the angle route behind it. If it's man versus pressure like the Ravens had, then you just hit the crosser and you replace the pressure, and it's a catch and run. Great design on it, and it was just a little tweak. It's a simple route that plays in Madden, but they did it out of 13 personnel, out of the gun, putting a tight end in the backfield. That's, I think that's pretty damn good play design. So yeah, it didn't end up working, but also, by the way, you can really see A.J. Brown's baseball background because he was drafted in baseball. Oh my God, he snatched that that fade. It was just like him just robbing a home run or something. It was just, it was pretty impressive. That it's a case all game of of good players playing well for the Ravens, yeah. and they, I mean, even if they won a lot of one on one matchups in this game, and one on one matchups are typically an advantage for the offense, and the Ravens negated them consistently. There was another play one one more I want to talk about it was a third and two with five twenty left. They ran a rub route, just a rub concept on the right side, and the Ravens just passed it off beautifully. Yeah. And Humphrey just played it great, knocks it down, forces a punt. Speaking of Titans punts, oh, though. Oh, boy. Punting that ball on fourth and two from Baltimore's 40 when you're losing in the fourth quarter oh. is unacceptable no matter how you slice it. I don't care about game flow. I don't care about anything. You cannot have a first-team All-Pro 250-pound running back and have third and two from the other team's 40 and finish that sequence with the punt and preach about and preach about it. toughness as a team and like or situational awareness. How, how many? Well, we talked about it earlier. Vrabel is like he had some has had some savant clock management game management moments yes, where you're just like that's what I mean. It's like and then all of a sudden he does this and it's like what are you doing? <laughs> like I, I think it was uh, EDJ Sports. It was 14 percent win expectancy that this this swung it. Like just punting there, like it was ninety nine percent cowardice index. All oh, of that surrender index. Oh, oh, just show, oh, and how you said that too, cowardice, cowardice too. That <laughs> just that's just a dagger to the gut. It was brutal. I I didn't get it. I I could because they, they punted earlier near, near midfield. I would say another fourth and one or fourth and two situation. I would say they're at about the forty five minus forty five. And that one was that like, was that third and two switch that third and two rub route that didn't work. Yep, great point. And that's. That was okay. I can see punting, but really, I wouldn't have like in that how the game was going. You need to get any points that you can generate because just how the game has gone so far. And then the fact that the second one happened not that far after that, it was like that's pretty bad. <laughs> I don't get it. I just don't get it. Whatever happened, I don't know how the communication was. Whatever was going on the sidelines or anything, it was just a weird, weird thing and a, just a weird opportunity for that. It's not week four. This is this is the wild card weekend. Like this is times you want to throw your dice rolls, and when you can take a chance. And I don't think it's that much just an advantage, like you said, when you have a two hundred fifty pound running back that could probably just trip forward and get the first down. 
And the Ravens did a great job against him all day. I still think that he has to touch the ball in one of those plays. And I'm not like, oh, Mike, this is a fireable offense. No. Bullshit. No. Mike Vrabel did a really good job of getting that defense ready to play against this yeah. team. They slowed down their running game in impressive ways. I thought they were going to give up 35 points like, like there was no problem. Exactly. So, yeah, props to their defense. They did. They did. I honestly think that this is – it reminds me of last year, honestly, when they had really good single-game game plans in the playoffs for certain offenses, even if their defense wasn't very good. Dean Pease isn't there anymore, but I still think that situationally the Titans are going to be able to put their players in good spots in these sorts of games. But their future is also kind of murky here because I think Arthur Smith is gone. Yeah. Independent of what just happened in that game. He's interviewing with every single team. I think he gets one of those jobs. And now, now you get the test. When you don't have an offensive-minded head coach and your play caller can leave, can you sustain success? Because that is what the Titans have been. They have been a team driven by one of the most efficient offenses in the NFL. And the guy who shaped that offense is probably walking out the door. And that leaves you with a lot of questions, questions we will definitely be getting to when all the coaching stuff settles and everything else. All right. Before we get out of here, is that the last game? No, that was it? No, we We're got, done? Uh, we got, we got uh, Chicago Saints. Yeah. I was fucking, I was fucking, I was fucking. <laughs> I know, I know we <laughs> no, more. no, we can't have that. <laughs> all right. Saints 21, Bears 9 because of that bullshit Jimmy Graham touchdown at the end where they didn't kick the extra point. You should have heard the, the roar. A touchdown. A roar from the sports book when that happened. <laughs> the fact that Jimmy Graham scored a touchdown that didn't matter and they shot off the slime cannons in just a terrible, ugly win for the Bears is the perfect epitaph for the Chicago Bears season. I don't have a ton of things to say about this game in terms of the ins and outs of it. I... I thought the Bears front played very well. Yeah. I thought they, they kept did. them in this game. I think that Mario Edwards did a lot of good stuff. I thought that Mac was, you know, giving Ramchek and Teron Armstead as much as they're gonna handle for the most part. I mean, his stat line is gonna look great, but I thought he played decent. Really rough game from Eddie Jackson on several different levels. I mean, the just offsides. kind of a bizarre game. Yeah. The offsides, Deontay Harris beating him in man coverage yeah. pretty badly on one play. Him trying to do too much. In the flat. Just trying to do too much. It happens sometimes. It really does. So uh, obviously there's the the trick play touchdown that Wims oh. dropped. I don't That changes the game a lot, but I don't know how much it changes the game. They had nothing going offensively. By the way, if that ball would have been completed, it would have been the second throw all season of 30 air yards or more completed by Mitchell Trubisky. You're kidding. Second. The first one? Last week on the boot left to Darnell Mooney. Second one all season. Their first one was in week 17. That's awesome. I, I kind of want to like, rank them now. Just like see what, what everyone says. He's hit over 20 now. One of four. One of four on the season. I think I did hear you scream after that drop that drop touchdown though. But at the this game though, it was the race to 20. It was the race to 20 points. That's exactly what it was. The And like, congrats to the Bears for getting slimed once. You know, I think they get a Nick... Uh, Nickelodeon blimp because of that. <laughs> well, Trubisky was the was the Nickelodeon most valuable player, which I assume he will. I assume his reps will take into his contract negotiations this spring. It's it's like that gif of the the kid that won the uh, he wins like a spelling bee and all the uh, confetti just pours on him. He's just like looking around like what's going on. That's kind of like what happened with the Bears today. But like it, I mean, every the Saints really just dominated this. I know the Bears defense tried their hardest and everything, but it was you know thirty nine minutes to twenty one minutes time of possession. Uh, it was, you know, third down battle was 11, uh, the, uh, the saints went 11 for 17. The bears went one for 10, 27 to 11 first down ratio. It was just a thorough 
butt whooping that was just kind of more like clinical as the game went on, especially after the drop uh, gadget play. It was like uh, a Barcelona, the, the soccer team, like when they were rolling, especially like, you know, when Messi was hitting his prime, it was tiki taka. That's just exactly what they looked like. It was just like, hey, we're not going to let you have the ball. Okay, we just scored. Okay, hey, we're not going to let you have the ball. We're just going to pass around, pass around, maintain possession, maintain possession. They would, they would control the ball like 80% of the game and win one nothing. And that's what it looked like. That's exactly how the Saints game unfolded. Um, yeah, that's exactly what we expected out of this game. I mean, props. Khalil Mack made a couple of good plays. Just weird. They just needed to make a couple more. They had to generate a, a pick six or something. They almost did. They almost had a couple turnovers there for a little in the middle there, but just this wasn't their day. I think the Saints will be fine. I think that their defense yeah. is great. I think that they will be in every game they play in the playoffs. Uh, I think that this game, in so many ways, I think indictment is strong. I think it is a representation of the faults of this era of Bears football and why things need to change in a drastic way. Uh, and it goes from all the way to top to bottom. You could easily say, Oh, the Bears, you know, they're out, out a couple corners in this game. You know, they have backups in the game. They are out a couple offensive linemen. There were a couple different plays. Uh, Bars got roasted by Rankins on that sack where Trubisky got hit in the head. And on the next play, Cam Jordan beat a Fetty. It's like, oh, those are guys not playing in the positions they started the season. They have backup corners everywhere. Do you know why the Bears have no depth? <laughs> because they depth. traded away a ton of picks in the last Anthony Miller they did? Did, they did nothing again in this game. They traded away a second round pick to go up and get Anthony Miller. They traded away a third round pick to go get David Montgomery. Instead of using what little money they had to try to build up the rest of the roster, they gave Robert Quinn a five year deal with $30 million guaranteed. They gave Jimmy Graham $8 million a year over the, over a two year span. That's how they spent their resources. I think it is so telling to watch what Leonard Floyd is doing for the Rams yeah. and watch what Robert Quinn is doing for the Bears and understand the smart and not-so-smart ways to add talent to your team. Robert Quinn had a really nice year last year in Dallas. Robert Quinn is in his 30s, and he was a year removed from being available for next to nothing to go to Dallas. That's not the kind of guy that is the last piece that's going to take you over the top here. And that's the way the Bears have done it. It has been, if we get this one more guy, if we get this one more guy, and the bargaining that Romo and Nance were doing at the end of that game, you could hear it. It's like, oh, you know, they made the playoffs two out of three years under Nagy. You know, Trubisky's getting a little bit better. You bring it back, you do this, you do that. That is the sort of bargaining that dooms you. And that is what they have done over the last couple of years. And I assume what they will do again. And it's if we get this one more guy or this one more guy, if we go out and we replace Massey next year and we get a right tackle, if we do this, you can't do that anymore. It's not, you know who we, this really reminds me of. It just came to me as you were talking there. It's just the, the Mark Sanchez jets and Rex Ryan in there. It's like, yeah, you can make a run and ride the defense and make some hits, but it's like, you still got Mark chance, Mark Sanchez at quarterback. And you still, and guess what? The defense isn't good enough to make a run anymore. Correct. It's not complete enough to make a run. We're talking about guys getting put in positions to succeed. I would love to see what Brandon Staley could do with this group of players on the bears. Think about that's that if if you want to be really a championship level ride the defense to a championship, you cannot do it with the people that are currently in charge of shaping the defense. You can't. It's not that good anymore, and the players are not good anymore just to ride them all the way. 
It, this defense was really, really good and really, really healthy in 2019. When one or two guys dinged up, and, and I know Hicks was hurt, but it, it's, it, was, it is not going to be as complete of a unit next year. You're at the cap. You were there. It's, you're going to have to lose some of these pieces, not gain more. I just think that the bargaining of, oh, we made the playoffs. What if one or two or three of these things go a little bit differently? You're going to stay in this exact same place. And I just hope that that's not the conclusion that they come to after this. Your goal, every team's goal. Yeah, every team has different goals. And you're like, oh, we got to make the playoffs this year. Oh, let's have a winning record. But like the Bears, <laughs> in their head, they're Super Bowl contenders, but they're really more built to be happy to win, get a wild card at nine and seven. And that's exactly right. Their expectations is not the reality. And I think they just have to come to grips with what their reality is. And we'll see what happens in the next couple of months. Are you a team that's trying to be relevant? Or are you a team that's trying to win a championship? And by relevant, I mean not a f- six and ten team, a team that's going to be middle of the pack and maybe sneak into the playoffs. If that's your goal, that's fine. And I understand that's how some organizations operate mm-hmm. because it's a business. You're trying to make money. You're trying to stay in the spotlight to some degree. You don't want to be at the bottom. But what is happening right now, and the ways that they're identifying talent and adding talent and shaping this roster are misguided. And I think that I would be fine with Nagy coming back and the coaching staff coming back. I'm fine with it in part because it's probably going to happen. I think that they need a different plan for picking the players. That is what I will say. I think they need a different plan all around. But I think the picking of the players, they need to start over. And this game is all you need to see, I think, in order to come to that conclusion. I think the initial domino effect of you know, the signing of Mike Glennon then trading up for Jabisky. And like that was all that was like, okay, this might not be going where we want it to go. And we're just seeing it just continue and continue a few years around a few years down the road. It's you know, it's the same stuff. It's the same stuff you've said, the same frustrations you've had. There's nothing that's been changing for it. And I understand that Leonard Floyd had a thirteen million dollar cap it. They needed to do something yeah. and that cutting him was probably right. But I think that is just even if it's un- makes sense in the moment, it's so indicative of why this team has fallen short. Because you let a guy go who's 28 years old and goes and looks like a superstar on the Rams for one year and 10 million. You bring in a 31-year-old guy on a multi-year deal. He has $9 million in dead cap on his 2022 contract. I think, by the way, Troy Aikman and uh, Leonard Floyd's agent are like buddies or something. Because he was he's playing amazing. He was playing I, I think that's he totally playing, fine. No, he's playing incredible. But he was like, yeah, he was selling it. And it's deserved, though. I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, again, we talk about the Rams defense as much as you want because that actually makes us happy on like this conversation. It's just sad. It's just, it is. It's just tough because it. Because you can see where it, the, you can see where it branched. You can see those moments. Just like in a game, you see those plays, those five, four or five, six plays that really affected the game. That's the same thing with team building, same thing with team chemistry, same thing with anything with a franchise. You see those moments. And especially when you're a committed fan like you are, you definitely see it. You see the macro view. And sometimes the coaches get caught in the micro view sometimes. But this is what happens. These are ebbs and flows of franchises. And it is frustrating when you could see how it could have gone differently and it didn't. Well, mercifully, it's over. <laughs> and we won't have to talk about the Bears on next week's show or for any show in the foreseeable future, which I'm really looking forward to. All right, buddy. That's all we got. Uh, six games, so jam-packed show. We're going to have four games for the next couple of weeks. I assume it'll be a little bit more uh, a little bit more concise. A little bit more concise we'll for the next couple of shows here without, <laughs> without six. And the six wild card games were great in theory, but that's a lot Woo. to talk about. We will be back on Wednesday. 
really sh- fun show for you guys. I have very special guest. I don't want to ruin it quite yet, but a very good one that I think you guys are going to enjoy. You and I will be back on Thursday with Lindsay to preview the divisional round. Really fun slate of games. I don't even know what time or when the games are because I haven't even started thinking about it yet. I was trying not to get distracted by that. So we will dig into all of that this week. Please rate and review the podcast on your favorite podcast platform of choice. I would sincerely appreciate that. Also, please subscribe to The Athletic. $3.99 a month. That's the deal we have going right now. You could not get a better price on great sports coverage. I have a very fun couple stories this week that I think you guys would really enjoy checking out. So please subscribe if you have not gotten a deal. It's theathletic.com slash football show. We'll be back on Wednesday. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you later. This was The Athletic Football Show.